Welcome to the next quick hit segment of PI Perspectives. We've got a special episode for you today. Nick Himanitis from the NGH Group joins Matt to discuss computer network security and video conferencing safety, something I could personally use. With everyone working at home and each state's shelter in place, network security has become a real issue. Check out Nick's tips on how to be safe and how to advise your clients. Our only sponsor for these quick hit segments is the investigatorstoolbox.com. Get ready for the next generation of investigator networking and learning. The site launches on June 1st. You can visit them at investigators-toolbox.com. Now let's drop in on Nick and Matt with two T's. Here's your host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome everybody to the next Quick Hits episode of PI Perspectives. Today, I am really excited uh, to be able to tap into an old friend of mine, uh, somebody I've known for quite some years. We've got uh, Nick Hemonitis today from the uh, NGH Associates. Uh, Nick is uh, a real tech-savvy guy, right? He, he has a real, um, uh, I guess, tech-driven uh, portion of, of his business. And we just happened to be talking the other day about what life looks like for him in, in New York. And uh, I asked him to come onto the program. So... I am welcoming to the program today, Nick Hemonitis. Nick, how are you? Uh, I'm doing just fine, Matt, and thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to do it. Okay. Did I sell you well enough as being tech savvy, or is that all smoke and mirrors? Well, <laughs> I, like, I like to think that uh, we're, uh, we're all that, and uh, I think you did a good job. Okay. Um, you know, uh, we are, as you know well, uh, you know, a licensed private investigation firm, but we sure. do uh, as you said, you know, specialize in high tech, uh, investigations, digital forensics and, uh, things like that. Yeah. So usually when folks are seeing uh, Nick Kevin and I speak somewhere, it's usually about Bitcoin and, uh, eventually we're going to get to that topic, not tonight, but we'll have Nick back another time to, uh, jump into that stuff. Cause that's like very, very interesting stuff. But, uh, today there's probably not too much Bitcoin investigation going on. So what is, uh, what does life look like for your company right now? For starters, you might be surprised we're, you know, we're keeping quite busy with uh, all things cryptocurrency and, and blockchain uh, these days, just about as much as any. But in terms of how we're moving along and, and trying to deal with the current circumstances we all find ourselves in uh, with respect to the coronavirus pandemic, uh, we found that it's all about really flexibility and adapting, as I right. think probably most business owners are finding. You and I uh, know a really good group of U.S. Special Forces operators. Sure. And uh, as you and I know, they like to use the phrase, improvise, adapt, and overcome with just about any challenge they face. And that's pretty much what we've been trying to do under these circumstances, improvise and adapt uh, so we can overcome this challenge. Absolutely. I mean, it's definitely just came from left field. Nobody thought it would be as crazy as actually it's been. And you're, you're based in Long Island, New York, right? We are, yes, in Melville. Right. Okay. You're feeling the New York pain just like me. We are, uh, you know, with uh, we've all seen the photos and, and the video clips of uh, Times Square and parts of Manhattan that are normally, you know, hustling, bustling with thousands of people, virtually empty, um, you know. People are not moving around. Uh, they're hunkered down. Businesses are shuttered, and 
it's affecting everybody across the board. Sure. Like I said before, it's it's about improvising and adapting to that situation. Okay. So yeah, let's talk about that. What, how, how is your business improvising? What are some of the things you're doing that you normally wouldn't do? Sure, we are improvising to try and do as much of our work as possible remotely. In our particular circumstance, that looks a little different than it does for maybe many other businesses who are in the same boat as to having to have, you know, all or most of their employees working remotely. Uh, historically, we when we do computer forensics, for example, we're ideally going into a location physically, whether it's a client's office or residence, to physically collect the evidence and data that we need. Um, we are still doing that at, uh, on an infrequent, uh, you know, necessary basis, but we're adapting to do more remote data collections and remote diagnostics of systems uh, and devices, uh, much more so than we would if this was not going on. We're also adapting by changing our physical operation protocols. So there are many things that we can do, as I said, remotely, but there are still many things we can't. So to the extent we can't do certain things with everyone on the staff being remote, certain types of evidence have to be taken into the lab to be processed, for example. So we've, you know, we've come up with a set of protocols that we think, you know, uh, allows us to do that and yet keeps everybody safe. You know, we've gone to a system where it's a rule of one person in the office at any given time, no exceptions. Everyone, as they come into the office, you know, them being the only person that's going to be there at that given time, that morning or that afternoon, they wipe down and disinfect all contact surfaces in the lab uh, when they get there, um, just in case the last person out missed anything when they wiped down and disinfected all the contact services in the lab. So, you know, we do that coming in and going out and everybody that goes into the lab, even though they're by themselves and even though everything's been wiped down and sanitized, we wear uh, surgical masks and gloves at all times while we're in the lab. So, you know, those are the kind of things we're doing to adapt to the environment and, you know, still continue to do what's necessary for us to, you know, not just keep our business moving, but to service this very important need uh, for our clients on an ongoing basis. Well, talk about beefing up your chain of custody, huh? Gives you some real credibility. Yeah. <laughs> um, Everything sure. was super clean in my lab, I swear. Uh, that's that's great. That's great. Very interesting. Now, do you find yourself doing any courier type work where you would actually go have to pick up whatever it is you're going to examine or, or um, are there, are they able to find their way to you? Well, we do. Again, we're, we're improvising and adapting to the extent where we are much more frequently now. For example, if a client has a, uh, a MacBook that needs to be examined, normally for chain of custody purposes, like you said, the ideal situation is a hand-to-hand exchange. We Us going to the client or the client coming and bringing that device to us so we can do chain of custody paperwork and and there's no chance of uh, UPS or FedEx or anyone, you know, losing or damaging that item. Right. Under the current circumstances, you know, in all but the most extreme uh, cases, we're telling the client, okay, 
take some photographs of the device with the serial numbers, you know, et cetera, put it in a FedEx box and uh, seal it and ship it to us. Right. Um, so, but uh, we are, you know, th- there are situations where it can't be avoided. We have to go to the client's location to collect certain types of data. For example, if they've got a computer running that is suspected of being involved in some kind of intrusion or attack, Right. There's volatile data, we call it, uh, you'd call it RAM memory, okay, on that computer that is very, very pertinent to what we're going to want to examine. And the minute that device is powered down, that data goes away. So we can't tell them, shut it down and send it to us. We have to go examine it where it is. And like I said, we're, we're doing that on a, you know, on a very limited but as needed basis. And, you know, we're just taking every precaution uh, for ourselves and for the client when we do that. So let, let's take a right turn here a little bit because uh, it, it is a, a hot topic here with regards to fraud, right? Uh, everybody's filing for their uh, their SBA loans and uh, you know trying to get aid and grants and things like that. And I would imagine that there's just a plethora of online fraud out there. Are you seeing anything in your line of work, what you're doing? Uh, have you come across anything yet? I have not come across anything specific regarding fraud in that particular context. I'm sure just, you know, in my own mind, because we deal in fraud, you, me, and other investigators, um, you know, we know fraud is always a big issue. And whenever there's a huge pot of money out there real quick, there's always going to be, you know, some big uptick in, in, in fraudulent uh, attempts to, you know, get, you know, your hands on those funds. So I haven't seen it. I'm sure there is a lot of it. What we have seen a lot of, and it's a question that we get a lot, which is, you know, has there been a huge uptick, for example, in hacking during this, you know, pandemic? I have to say that, um, it's possible that there has been, I haven't seen any hard data that shows that what we call actual hacking uh, has really uh, exploded or, or seen a big, huge uptick. Right. That said, we have seen definitely a huge increase in non-hacking compromise attempts. Right. In other words, phishing attacks and social engineering attacks against businesses, which we don't really put them, you know, in the category of hacking because they're different. We're talking about the um, situation where uh, whether a crudely or well-constructed spoofed email is sent to a mid-level employee and made to appear that it's coming from the CFO or some high-level employee uh, management person saying, I need you to send these funds here immediately, or I need you to get $1,000 worth of gift cards and and send them here, uh, things of this nature. Things that have always been going on, we've seen them all the time, but because workforces are really dispersed right now, and it's that much harder to yell down the hall or pick up the phone and intercom down the hall, you know, uh, or yell to your uh, assistant, you know, to check on something. We're seeing a huge uptick, uh, not only in that, but in the, in the rate of success 
even of some of the more crude uh, fishing and social engineering attacks of that nature. And it only makes sense based on, you know, what's going on with everyone working remotely and, and being disparate. Right. So, so these days it's not the uh, Nigerian prince that needs you to handle the transaction for him. It's, it, it may be uh, some other fashion or, or maybe even it's somebody who says, I'm, I'm an American and I'm stuck in Ecuador. Please send me $20,000 so I can get out of here. Right. I'm sure that, that might've happened once or twice. Right. Of course. And, and, you know, some slightly more, you know, well-crafted than that, an email where, uh, you know, it's sent to someone in the accounting department, the email address is not the email address of the senior vice president, but his name clearly appears in the from field. So if you don't look at it carefully, it's an email from the senior vice president saying, I need you to wire $42,000 to this account immediately, you know, because X, Y, Z is going on. Yeah. It's Matthew with two T's by the way. What's that? Matthew with two T's. (laughs) Send it to my account. (laughs) Touche. Yeah, there you go. Um, uh, That almost went right over my head. Almost. Yeah, sorry, Um, pal. (laughs) These kind of things... Um, you know, it's, it's shocking that even in normal circumstances, how many of these things are, are often successful, right. but in these really unusual circumstances, you know, um, our, I think our, our impression of what's odd or unusual has just shifted. Oh, totally. You know, everything is odd and unusual yeah, right now. So things that might otherwise jump out as an, at an employee as, well, this doesn't look right. right. Uh, sometimes, or you know, seem to be slipping through uh, a lot more easily. And the 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 the, the response to it, and, and the way to avoid it, really, you know, this is not a high tech thing. Sure. This is a situational awareness thing, and a thing where you know employees have to be probably reminded and admonished more so than ever right now under these circumstances that they need to quest stop and look and question anything that seems odd. That's the best way to prevent this. I I think maybe Um, having some sort of policy, right. Advising your clients to to send out maybe an email to their, to their employees to be on the lookout or be extra aware of, of uh, things probably doesn't hurt. Right. Without question. We we're big proponents of uh, training uh, and, um, you know, in-house training and even sure. bringing in outsiders to do, for example, f- uh, you know, fishing awareness training, sure. because it is to this day, people talk about hacking so much and obviously it does happen. Bad actors physically hack into the network of the company. Sure. That happens, of course, yeah. but it, but the type of damage that's done by phishing and social engineering attacks is actually much more prevalent. It's easier to execute. The skill set of the bad actors is much lower, right. um, and and they tend to be pretty successful. Yeah, I would so, say. Yeah, that, I'd say I'm that sorry. kind of training is really, really important. I would say probably it's it's harder to detect, or or, or not that it's harder, just longer to detect, right? So, um, you know, even though the acting is not quality acting it's 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 a matter of it being reported by somebody as being suspicious right absolutely and if the employee doesn't report it as being suspicious oftentimes you know the first institutional awareness is when someone sees 
the transaction on the financial side right. and says, what was this? And then they start backtracking. Mm-hmm. Um, that happens quite often. Yeah. So your, your team also, I know we were talking off mic on this uh, the other day. So your team is also actually building networks for people that are working from home, right? Getting that up and running. Um, we do. Uh, we Yes, we are. We do. And we have right. um, setting up, uh, you know, secure networks and systems for folks who are forced to work at home, who really would prefer not to or don't usually work at home right. and are in some business or scenario where, you know, it's highly sensitive. Um, yeah, we, we, we've done quite a bit of work in that area of late. And, and again, that's a shift. That's an adaptation. Sure. We are, we're competent in that area. We have the skill set to do that kind of stuff. It's not our normal day to day because it's not what we mostly have to call for, but due to the circumstances where, you know, we're being called upon to do it and, and sure we are doing it. Uh, but, you know, along those lines, you know, as many people as we've done that for, like physically set up a secure computing network, we get dozens and dozens of inquiries from people who uh, either can't afford or are just not in a situation where they're at the level where they actually require that or, 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 or that would make sense. But they're asking all kinds of questions about, you know, how do I make sure I stay secure in this situation. I'm working from home every day, all day. That's not something I've normally done. What kind of things can I do to, you know, improve my security and reduce the risk of having a problem? So let's and, let's let's talk about that a little bit because let, let's talk sure. about to our to our listening audience here, right? The the investigator that's now doing video conferencing that has never done it before, and everybody says go to Zoom because it's free and it's easy, and we're all up there doing. So what are some of the things as as an investigator? who's attending these meetings or, or doing those stuff that they should look for as, as far as fraudulent activity or things to really make sure they're keeping themselves protected. Sure. I'll speak directly to the whole video meeting, video conferencing thing specifically in a minute, right. but leading up to that, it really starts like everything else with a solid foundation. And I'll kind of backtrack into what I mean in a minute, but, Whatever platform you're going to use to video conference or or host or participate in a video meeting, you're going to be using a device right. on your end and a system on your end right. to access that platform and do whatever it is you're going to do. Right. And that's really where this has to start. And sure, there are some you know higher level security things that can be put in place, but from a very basic level that everybody can and should be doing, that's really important, is for starters, making sure their operating system, whether it's Windows, Mac OS, or your OS on a mobile device, and the applications on your device, not just the video conferencing application you're going to be using, but all of your applications on the device are up to date. Why? Because one of the most common ways that attackers gain access to devices and networks, aside from being let in by a negligently negligent employee, like we talked about above, who who just (laughs) clicks on a link that, you know, they got and starts entering their usernames and passwords because the link said to do that. Uh, Aside from that, which is actually the number one way that the bad actors get in, um, 
The next most common way they get in is by exploiting security vulnerabilities in the operating systems or the applications on a device. Now, the, the key fact there is that Microsoft and Apple and the makers of not all, but many day-to-day uh, uh, -day applications that we use are very good at patching those security vulnerabilities as soon as they find out about them. Right. The problem is that we, the users, are not always so good about downloading and installing those updates that patch those security vulnerabilities. Right. Do your updates, folks. <laughs> do your so updates. do your updates, uh. not just on Windows and Mac OS, but on your mobile devices and on the app. When, it, when an application, when you get a window on your computer or device from an application that you know is a trusted application that you put there, it's legitimate. When you get a notification that a new version of the application is available, click on it, download it, you know, install the update. Not always, but many times those updates are specifically being rolled out to fix a security vulnerability sure. that someone has made the software manufacturer aware. Yeah, that's that's good key. stuff, man. That's definitely good stuff. The other thing that goes right along with that is the same thing with antivirus software. I can't tell you how many machines we see that have antivirus software installed on the machine, but the virus definitions database hasn't been updated in three months or four months. Right. And in the world of viruses and malware, three or four months is an eternity. Right. You have to update those things, either set it to update automatically every day, or you have to make sure you update them yourself like very frequently, at least every week. And of course, the other thing, which is as basic as washing your hands and, you know, coughing into your arm instead of out into public is passwords, passwords, passwords. Passwords have to be unique and complex, and they have to be changed immediately if you, the user, have even the slightest suspicion that something's happened to compromise them. Right. And the response I get to that all the time is, well, if I make my password so complex that a hacker can't guess it or crack it with a pass with a password cracking tool easily, then I can't remember it and I have to write it down and, and, and all these various different excuses. Right. And oh my goodness, are you telling me you want me to use a different complex password, meaning a unique password for each different account and service I use? How could I possibly do it? The answer is real simple. Use a password keeper program like LastPass or RoboForm. Mm -hmm. They're excellent. They're very secure and they do everything I just said that everyone should be doing basically automatically. Okay. Two of them in particular that I have a lot of experience with are, are called LastPass, L-A-S-T-P-A-S-S. -S. And another one that uh, myself and a lot of my guys use is called RoboForm, R-O-B-O-F-O-R-M. Okay. And they're, they're very secure programs. They're, they're not free, but they're very cheap. Okay. And they literally generate complex, virtually unhackable, uncrackable passwords for you to use for each one of your, you know, hundred different services, accounts, and things that you do. And it stores them all uh, securely in, in an encrypted database. And you make up one really complicated master password, and that's the last password you ever have to remember. Nice. So 
All right. Well, that's, that's, that's good knowledge there. That's so, real good knowledge. All right. So any, know, any other tips you can give the, uh, the investigator who's doing the, the online conferencing, some things to look sure. for? Sure. Uh, because I, and I realize you, you know, you asked specifically about that. I just wanted to point out that, sure. you know, the, the weak link in any situation like that is each individual user and their device and their, you know, situation. So, um, I've gotten a lot of questions about this and you mentioned the bar association earlier. Um, right. I, I worked closely with the executive committee of the New York state bar association while they were working with the court system to very quickly come up with a safe, secure, and effective way to have court hearings and uh, emergency motions, et cetera, while the courts are virtually shut down during this pandemic. And a lot of these same questions came up. Uh, you know, which of the which of the platforms is best? Which is the most secure? Mm-hmm. And one of the most common questions I got was, you know, um, which one has the best encryption protocol? And look, we don't have time, but I could sit and get into the difference between true end-to-end encryption, which some platforms uh, like FaceTime and uh, uh, Skype for Business actually have if you turn it on um, versus some other services like Zoom, which do use encryption, but they do not use true end-to-end encryption. It's different. But to get into all that really misses the basic point. That whole discussion really comes down to, or I should say really applies if you consider the platform itself, right? Zoom, Skype, whoever, and their servers as the weak link in this equation, in this chain. And they're not. Whoever is a little better or not as good amongst, you know, the larger uh, platforms that people might use for these things, Zoom, Skype, GoToMeeting, et cetera, some are certainly better than others. But even the worst among them is going to be more secure than the average individual user. And the average individual user is the weak link. And that's why... Okay. The, 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 the platform itself as an attack surface, sure it happens. Okay. But it's not by a long shot, the weakest link in the chain. So if the individual's computer or, or device is compromised, then all those encryption protocols, no matter how good they are, go out the window. Exactly. Because if an attacker takes control of a device, that is legitimately logged into a video conference, they are in on the video conference. And it doesn't matter how good the the platform's security might be. So what what do we, you know, what's really important, you know, for us in our business to know using these things and for us to inform our clients and and educate uh, our clients, because I know a lot of a lot of us PIs are at our, our trusted sources of information right. for our clients. What a scam. The most, impo- <laughs> the, 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 most, the most important things for them to know, quite frankly, are, like I said uh, previously, having the most current, um, well, in, in addition to all of the things I said before about general personal computing security, in addition to that, having the most current and up-to-date version of whatever video conferencing or online meeting application 
you're going to be using, whether that's Zoom, GoToMeeting, Skype, or what have you, right. make sure it's not the version of the app you downloaded a year and a half ago. Right. Right. You have to check for updates and make sure they're up to date. Perfect example, and I'm not picking on Zoom, but Zoom did have a couple of significant security vulnerabilities. They fixed them in their latest version of the app. Right. If you haven't downloaded the latest version of the app, those vulnerabilities still exist. Still there, but right. if you have downloaded it, they're gone. Right. So that's what I'm talking about. The other thing is really, really important. And again, this is on the individual user. It's not on the video conferencing company. You have to enable all the necessary and desirable security features that you want that are available on that platform. Uh, for example, Skype for Business provides true end-to-end -end encryption for a Skype session, right. but only if you and the other participant or you and all the other participants in that particular Skype session have enabled it. Because for whatever reason, full end-to-end -end encryption is not enabled by default in the Skype for Business app. Right. You have to turn it on. So what does that mean? That means that whatever you choose to use, Zoom, Skype, GoToMeeting, what have you, one of the most important things you can do, aside from the general security tips that I already gave, is to make sure you, like any other tool, make sure you know how to use it properly. Right. Every single one of these platforms has a guide on their website somewhere that tells you the features and you can look under security features and it'll tell you what's available and how to enable it. What's on by default, what's not on by default. Right. And if you're going to use a tool like this to have an online meeting, whether it's somewhat sensitive or very sensitive, you know, it behooves you and the others that are going to participate with you, you know, to get on there and read that and understand how to use this tool properly that you're using. And that, that's really the best advice I can give on that. Okay, great. So listen, we are uh, kind of going into overtime over here, but interesting stuff. Nick, I really appreciate you coming on, and I look forward to having you back uh, soon, actually, to, to dive into some more of this stuff. So how do folks get a hold of you well, if they have any more questions? Well, first of all, Matt with two Ts, it, yes. was, <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely my pleasure. You know, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Yeah. Um, and I uh, was excited to, to be able to do the podcast with you. Uh, anyone uh, that wants any more information from me, they, they can reach me at my company, the NGH Group, at 516-621-6500. Or they can email me at info, I-N-F-O, at the nghgroup.com t-h-e-n-g-h-g-r-o-u-p.com okay perfect so uh thank you everybody for tuning in and we'll catch you guys on the next episode take care thanks for joining us for this quick hit segment such great tips from nick this could have easily been a full episode and quite frankly time-wise it was nick will be back in a few weeks though to talk about cryptocurrency investigations now please stay safe out there and we'll see you next time on PI Perspectives.